my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. In the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. That we can, and so help us God, we will make America great again. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the No Gimmicks Podcast. I'm your humble host, as always, Brady Leonard. Hope you guys had a fantastic weekend. Uh, great show today. I was joined by my good friend Ian Hayworth. It's always a great time talking to Ian. Uh, we recapped the Democratic National Convention. Uh, we looked forward to the Republican National Convention, which begins today. Uh, oh, joy. Um, and we talked about the latest round of rioting and violence this time in the great state of Wisconsin. A lot to break down, as always. Uh, we try to cover as much as we could in a limited amount of time. Uh, before we get to Ian, guys, please follow us on Twitter at No Gimmicks Pod. Please subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, or Spotify. If you're on iTunes, please give us a five-star rating and a good review. I'd really appreciate that. And if you like what you're hearing and want to get involved, you can hit us up over on Patreon, patreon.com slash the No Gimmicks Podcast. All right. Without further ado, here's my chat with Ian Hayworth. <laughs> All right, guys, we're here with my brother, Ian Hayworth. Ian, how you doing, my friend? I'm great. I'm happy to talk to you. I know you fell off the edge of the world for a while, so I'm glad you made it back fairly safely. I am back. I was up at the cabin. Uh, no Wi-Fi and no data. I, I'm like the only person that doesn't have an unlimited plan, so I actually have to like watch my data usage on my phone. So I didn't even check Twitter for a couple of days, so uh, I'm kind of just poking my head back in. We'll, we'll see what happens. So, um, all right. Uh, back on the grid, and it looks like the rioting will continue. <laughs> um, great news. Uh, the state of Wisconsin's on fire. Um, apparently last night there was a police-involved shooting. Uh, a suspect named Jacob Blake is in critical condition after being shot seven times by a cop. Um, we don't really know much about this yet. Uh, the shoot looks bad. I mean, th- there's a video of it that the shoot looks bad. Um, the cops have guns drawn. Uh, Blake ignores them, walks to a car, and, and reaches in the car for something. Um, and then a cop shoots him seven times in the back. I mean, it's never a good look when somebody gets shot in the back. Um, but that's all we know. I mean, was he reaching for a gun? I mean, if he was reaching for a gun, then okay. I, I, I suppose it was a justified shoot. Uh, if he was reaching for literally anything else on earth other than a gun, uh, then obviously that cop needs to go to jail forever. Um, but I can't really comment on this because we don't know anything. Well, that's the, that's the problem with Twitter, right? Right down to its core is that people get rewarded for reacting quickly, not accurately. Right. So everyone is jumping on this for uh, for the political hay that they think it's going to be, including the governor of Wisconsin, by the way, who if you oh check out his Twitter, uh, can I just read you one one of his tweets, which I think is just utterly appalling. He He tweeted last night, while we do not have all the details yet, what we know for certain is that he is not the first black man or person to have been shot or injured or mercilessly killed at the hands of individuals in law enforcement in our state or our country. So the governor of the state is admitting that we don't have all the details yet, but then is still fanning the flames of racism or that this was a merciless killing when, as you say, we don't have the one piece of information which is important, which is what was the man doing? Like, firstly, he was ignoring police instructions, which is always a big no-no. And he was reaching into a car. If there was a gun in there, then it was a justified shoot. If there wasn't a gun in there, but there was suspicion of a gun, then it's borderline. We don't have the information, but 
this has become like a pattern that we see time and time again. It doesn't really matter whether the person is guilty or innocent. What matters is his skin color, effectively, at this point. Right, and that's you know that's been consistent since the beginning of the the Black Lives Matter movement. Is they don't really care. Uh, they don't really care about the details. They just don't want any you know any black person to be killed by a cop or shot by a cop, regardless. You know, going back to Ferguson, Michael Brown, obviously he punched a cop in in the face and then tried to grab the cop's gun. <clears throat> you know, so that was a clearly a, a justified shooting. Um, and they didn't care. I mean, they burned Ferguson down anyway. So obviously the details are everything here. Um, now I don't agree with a lot of the, the right wingers either that, you know, the, the hashtag back the blue types, you know what I mean? That, that they're, they're just this morning posting all over Twitter, like, okay, well this guy, Jacob Blake, he was why he had a warrant out for his arrest, uh, for sexual assault and, and domestic violence. Um, that's true, but it, I mean, if he wasn't reaching for a gun or something, that doesn't mean a cop can shoot him seven times in the back. Okay. <laughs> okay. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter. I, I don't care if the guy was wanted for murder. Uh, you know, if, if he wasn't a threat, you can't shoot the guy in the back. Um, but who, I mean, maybe he was reaching for a gun, man. I mean, like, we just don't, like, the, the fact that the governor of the state has has the, the audacity to say, well, we don't know the facts yet, but, no, no, that's, no, no. How about stop? Yep. How about don't, don't say a damn word, sir. We don't know the facts. We have no idea what he was reaching for. We don't know if this was a justified shooting or not. I mean, that detail is literally everything here. That's the only thing mm-hmm. that matters. And the fact that he would recklessly tweet something like that is just outrageous. Well, Twitter is just the worst on both sides in situations like this, because we've seen this time after time now, where, as you say, the, the back the blue types will see this for what they want to see it, which is they will basically attempt a character assassination as justification for someone shooting. So you saw this with um, Ahmoud Arbery in Georgia when he was shot by those two guys who basically pulled over the side of the road and tried to enact a citizen's arrest, which was just kind of ridiculous. They were saying, oh, he was just trespassing, therefore he deserved to be shot. It's like, well, no, this is not how it works. Yeah, they said, and, they said the same thing with George Floyd. Well, he was high on, on fentanyl or something. It's like, okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of people like, have been high on fentanyl, you know. Uh, I mean, just go to West Virginia or Ohio or, <laughs> or something. You know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah, there's a lot of people on drugs. That doesn't mean they can be, you know, murdered. But, you know... Yeah, sorry, I cut you off. Go ahead, go ahead. Yeah. No problem. It's the frustrating thing I think about Twitter is that there is no reward for focusing on what's relevant, and often what is relevant is being patient and waiting for evidence. But there's no political advantage. I mean, you saw Obama doing this with Trayvon Martin coming out, and uh, Michael Brown as well coming out early and making political statements because the advantage is being first. Same with the media. Same with all politicians. The same with activists. There is no reward for saying. Yes, it's, it's horrible when anyone gets shot, regardless of, of the cause or the justification. Of course. But let's wait for evidence. There's no reward for that. The reward is someone like the governor trying to protect himself from blame by aligning himself with the entire narrative of Black Lives Matter and claiming this was racist based on the fact that the person shot was black and the officers were white. That's his only justification for the racism accusation because he thinks he'll stay safe. It's like the shops who post Black Lives Matter posters on their windows some of them do believe it, but also some of them are doing it because they believe they will be safe from the violence that's now just um, completely guaranteed. One positive, though, is that uh, COVID is over in Wisconsin for the next few weeks. So that's good. Yeah, I mean, COVID obviously lays dormant when people riot. So, uh, you know, nobody will get sick in Wisconsin for the time being. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, Democrats proceeded uh, to burn Kenosha, Wisconsin to the ground. I mean, they burned restaurants. They burned a courthouse down. Uh, they even burned an entire car dealership. Uh, you know, dozens, maybe even hundreds of cars were were, were blown up. Um, I mean, I can't imagine the the <laughs> yeah the the cost of 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 replacing mm-hmm. everything lost. And my God, um, look, here's here's the thing. Sorry to make this political, but you know, we we just sat through the the Democratic National Convention. We're we, we're starting the Republican National Convention today. And I, I couldn't help but think about this politically in in the state of Wisconsin. What we're seeing, I Donald Trump is is honestly built in a lab to turn off female voters, <laughs> right? <laughs> like he really is. He's loud. He's rude. He's chaotic, you know. Uh, and that turns off suburban women. You know, the only way suburban women are gonna vote for Trump is if Democrats burn their cities to the ground. <laughs> okay, it's like men on average. Like, this is just. The stone cold facts, ladies and gentlemen, men on average value liberty. Women on average value security. OK, if Democrats keep rioting and burning things and killing people, that's bad news for the left electorally, especially in a state like Wisconsin, that they really need to win. And I have a feeling Democrats burning Wisconsin is the new iteration of Democrats ignoring Wisconsin. It's like mm-hmm. they're specifically doing the exact the exact things necessary for Trump to win the state. Well, you're right. And also, we need to be thinking about this as the election, which is on a state level. I think most of the data you see, people are always talking about national polls and national views of things like the riots and the protests, and often through the lens of the view of the world that the mainstream media have. But the election is decided on a state-by-state level. And so Trump needs to be focusing on each state for basically, as you say, the binary decision they have to make, which is, you can choose me. I know you don't like me personally. I know I've done this, this, and this. Uh, I'm, I'm not a, a nice guy personality-wise, but I'm not going to cheer as your businesses are burnt to the ground. Like right. that, is, that is the choice. Unfortunately, I'm not confident that the, that the Trump organization and the RNC generally is disciplined enough to unify around this issue, which I think they would, be, they would have won already. Right? You have Joe Biden who doesn't know where he is or who he is, you think he's going to be the one to wrestle back control of law and order in the country. It's just not going to happen. But unfortunately, I think Trump is is very egotistical. I mean, the things we've been talking about for a couple of years at this point are all going to come back. He's going to talk about Russia collusion and all of the conspiracies. He's going to talk about the mainstream media. As you say, none of that matters. If he just spent three days playing clips of cities burning to the ground, he would win in November. Absolutely. I, I 100% agree. And uh, I want to get in more to that in, in a second. Uh, you know, what what should the Republicans be focusing focusing on uh, during the RNC this week? Um, but before we get there, let, let's go back a week and talk about the, the Democratic National Convention. I'll be honest with you. I, I didn't watch a single solitary second of the Democratic National <laughs> Convention. I watched none of it, of course, because I'm a podcaster. I'm trying to be a professional here. I did go back and watch some of the highlights. I, I watched some clips, so I, I know what was going on. But uh, I, I didn't watch any of it live. I just couldn't put myself... I, I just respect myself too much, um, you know, to, to put myself <laughs> through that. But what, what jumped out at you, if anything? Uh, highlights, lowlights. <laughs> anything <laughs> worth, worth mentioning from the DNC last week? But it's all low lights. I think there are two things that stood out to me. I think the first is that they don't really have any policy positions. They are going all in on we hate Trump. Yeah. We're not Trump. Vote for us. Like, I mean, they, they, they really didn't. Sorry. Sorry to cut you off. But and I want you to pick right up where you left off. But like, really, 
that that's the first thing that I noticed. Like there was other than you know confiscating guns and you know stuff like that. Like that that was kind of like the only substance. Like there wasn't mm-hmm. any real policy proposals. No, it's all all this ridiculous binary. Let's choose the light, not the dark. You know, let's eat, <laughs> not vomit. It's just all this nonsense that's completely meaningless, but yeah. sounds good to the mainstream media and a lot of these kind of urban Democrats who just love to, you know, click their fingers instead of applause, all that nonsense. So that's one of the things that stood out to me is just the complete lack of actual platform. And the second is that the Obamas completely overshadowed the people actually running. Like Obama returned, like the third coming of Christ at this point. People just applaud anything he says, regardless of how obnoxious and untrue. Like he had the audacity to speak in front of the Constitution, a document that he would quite happily, happily blow his nose with. And the Democrats and with the complicit media act as if there is nothing hypocritical about that whatsoever. We have to listen to Michelle Obama complain about how awful America is, saying how much she hates politics, despite the fact that she has inserted herself into every political conversation of the last five, six years. And so kind of strange, given that the Obamas owned the show when Biden and Kamala Harris are the ones running. And I think that shows that people understand in the Democratic Party that Biden and Kamala are not popular and the Obamas still are. So they're trying to use it's kind of funny. Everyone is a Trojan horse for someone else. Like Biden is a Trojan horse for the radical left and the Obamas are the Trojan horse for Biden. So it's just it's all nonsense. It's, It's quite it would be funny if they didn't have a chance of winning. (laughs) <laughs> is, right. is the conclusion. Right. It would be hilarious if they weren't so dangerous. But yeah, with with President Obama's speech, it, it was gross. Yeah, it was it was gross. Claiming the claiming the founding documents, documents mm-hmm. that he absolutely abhors. Uh, I mean, you you really can't make this stuff up. But man, I do not miss being scolded by that man. My goodness, I forgot how much I could not stand his arrogant cocky style and oh my goodness you think the press has been bad <laughs> the last four years my goodness i forgot just how bad they were in the obama years i mean th- just the contrast and how they covered obama and still cover obama versus how they mm-hmm. covered trump my, my gosh they're just the drooling journalists saying that they were crying during obama's speech it's like and it wasn't even a good obama speech I mean, it's not bad. He's a, he's a good orator. I mean, like he's not gonna go out there and just lay an egg. But like, you know, he's done better. Like it was okay. You know what I mean? But just the the slobbering over this man by the press it was just embarrassing. I'm embarrassed for the press. Mm-hmm. There's a weird sense, I think, right now, the way people have really forgotten what the press is for. I think people see the press going after Trump with every single possible thing they have, and they think that's a, that's a bad thing. In some ways, I wouldn't mind if it was consistent. If the press, their sole job was to tear politicians apart at every opportunity. Oh, yeah. That would be fine. But as you said, it's the juxtaposition between their open hatred of Trump and their attempt to paint him in in every negative light they possibly can, whether it's true or not. But when Obama comes, they applaud him. That is not the role of a journalist. That is the role of an activist. And what is, I think, depressing really at the core of this is that as consumers, people don't see that and see a problem. A lot of Democrats who consume the media just as much as conservatives do, they don't see a problem with this. They see it as, oh yeah, that makes sense. Obama's awesome. When I see conservative media fawning over Trump and they're making statements that are uh, 
flirting with the truth at best and just openly lying at worst. I'm right. not happy with it. Even if it's promoting a narrative or um, like a further truth I want promoted, I am not happy when journalists fail in their job, which is to fight for the truth. Democrats need to be doing the same because ultimately we're going to lose control of journalism. Journalism is going to descend into activism, which to some extent it already has. And no one will take the news seriously. That is the ultimate result here. I think we're already there. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 unfortunately, I think we're already there. Um, there was some trolling moments from the Democrats last week. I mean, they put. I, I think they're laughing at us. I think they're they're actually laughing at the right. They have to be. There's no other explanation. They put Liz Warren on some kind of Native American rights panel, mm-hmm. <laughs> and they put Stacey Abrams on a panel <laughs> of Democratic governors. Okay, they they're just they're messing with us, right? They have to be. They have to be laughing at us. I mean, they they know how ridiculous this is. But they, I think they're just thumbing their noses at us. I mean, is there any other explanation? I think it's one of two things. I think either it's intentional trolling, in which case it's it's pretty funny. I it, it's it's. Funny. I think it is to, funny. I I'm like, got, hey man, got to tip your cat. I mean, it, it, that's art. You know, real recognizes real. <laughs> I think there's 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 a few elements of this. I think we we can probably think about. I think one. Are they completely devoid of any context that they can't see how absurd it is that Elizabeth Warren claimed to be Native American for years? Turns out she's at most one one thousand twenty fourth Native American, and now she's on a panel for Native Americans. Like they're not stupid people. I think they understand that it'll get attention. It'll distract from the actual dangerous, horrific things they're saying. Right. Because I think a lot of the MAGA crowd on Twitter will be tweeting about how ridiculous it is that Elizabeth Warren is on this panel, that Stacey Abrams is on a governor's board, but she's not a governor, where, like, meanwhile, they're promoting abortion up to the point of birth, and they're talking about eradicating the Second Amendment, and they're talking about taxing the uh, billionaires for every single drop of blood in their body. So it's a good distraction in that way. I also think this smells a little bit of almost, you know, the stories of these high-ranking sexual um, sexual assault offenders, like the Harvey Weinsteins and the Jeffrey Epsteins, who almost like to flaunt their ability to get away with anything. Right. I think sometimes there's an element of that, which is born from arrogance, which is born from the fact that the media will just let them get away with anything, that it's almost fun to see how far can we push this. Right. And that could be an element of it too. One more point on the DNC. Um, I mean, look, Joe Biden in his acceptance speech didn't completely melt down. So... (laughs) I mean, it wasn't a good speech, but the bar was set so low, expectations were so low, that I, I think you have to count that as a win, I suppose, that he didn't totally forget what he was doing and what he was saying. You know, he could actually still read a teleprompter. I mean, a lot of people were expecting him to just literally go out there and, you know, I don't know, threaten to fight somebody and <laughs> you know, whatever, you know, like some of these odd moments that he's been having. Um, so, I mean, I guess you kind of have to count it as a win. I don't think he's going to get a big bump in the polls after this. It wasn't some, you know, inspiring speech or anything, but I mean, judging by how low the, the bar was set, um, I mean, I, I suppose, you know, Joe Biden had a good night. I never really worried too much about Biden, um, messing up too much on a, I think it was pre-recorded, or even if it was alive, it was a scripted speech. With Biden, he falls apart under any element of pressure. He's perfectly fine delivering a a pre-recorded speech off teleprompter. He is terrible on his feet. Every single clip you see of him either getting aggressive and randomly um, challenging people to fights or push-up contests or any of that 
kind of craziness or when he just spirals off into these mumbles. It's when he is dragged slightly off track. And that's why it's so important that we get some form of debate or that the uh, the media actually pressure him on some questions. Because that's won't. when that side the, of him the comes The media out. won't. The media won't. No. They, they never will. They He will go this entire election cycle without answering a, a, a single solitary serious question. I, I, I don't think the press... I mean, he, he won't go on Chris Wallace's show. No. I mean, he, he's not going to do an interview with, with Jonathan Swan from Axios. Like, he's not. He's not. Like, even some of these, you know... And they're both left-wing guys, too, but they're, you know, real, one of the last real journalists we still have, you know. But I just don't think, he's not going to put himself in that position, and then the press uh, that he will sit down with would never, would never ask him any tough questions. But I think it all comes down to the debate, you know, and well, he's, also, he's claiming he will he will debate Trump. So, uh, I mean, I, he get, here, here's the thing. Sorry, I'm going off on a, on a rabbit trail here, but let me know if, if you agree or disagree. I know he said, and the, the Biden team has said that he will debate Trump three times. That's the president's been said three presidential debates. But I could, I could see a scenario where his team decides that he can't win in a debate, and he comes up with some line like, "I don't know." He could say any. The thing is, the press—they're his lapdog, so they'll let him get away with anything. So he could just say, "You know, Trump's a racist, and I, there's no way I'll debate a racist." And then mm-hmm. the press will be like, oh, yeah, well, Trump is a racist, so I, I, I don't want to debate a racist either. And then he'll just get off scot-free. So, like, do you think they will debate? Do you think he could get away with bitching out with a stupid throwaway line like that? Well, quite frankly, if I was in his campaign, I would fight tooth and nail to stop him from debating. Oh, yeah, so we've also, we've also got to remember that there's no— while I think it's important that we have debates, there's no God-given right to a debate. I think a lot of people on the— uh, conservative side are calling for the left to do things that would damage their campaign. Like Trump should be experiencing the easiest re-election campaign in history. He is up against a completely fractured, radical left that is made up of just, quite frankly, insane people. A clown car. He is on the back of the most, <laughs> the most um, explosive economy we've seen in a very long time. And COVID-19 isn't an American problem. It's a worldwide problem. So to blame Trump for any of that is is quite silly. He should be winning this. But people are expecting the Democrats to help him win. And Trump needs to make the issue of debate almost a matter of strength. Of, oh, if Biden doesn't want to debate, it's because he's weak. Rather than calling for them, they have to debate because Biden will fall apart. Why should Biden debate? Like Biden's ahead in the polls. They think they can win without the debates. It would be politically stupid to basically risk something that they already think they've won. So I think rather than criticizing the Democrats for trying to win, conservatives need to start demanding that Trump plays this campaign better, makes these issues work for him. Like if, if Biden chooses not to debate, that should be a good thing for Trump. It should make Trump look good. But I don't really think he's doing that. There's so many petty little arguments where people are expecting the Democrats to kind of lie down for Trump. And it's, why would they? Like, I wouldn't let Biden go out and embarrass himself on national TV. I don't think you would either. Yeah, and you're absolutely right. Trump needs to come at this from a, a position of strength and, and use that to force Biden into a debate. You know, basically mm-hmm. challenge his manhood. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, hey, only a real man would, would debate me. You know, make him get in there. And then uh, you mentioned something earlier that is a... a a point that we need to be paying attention to um, in all of Biden's public statements, all his gaffes, all the ridiculous, you know, threatening to fight a guy, challenging somebody to a, a push-up contest, 
look fat, which is still one of my favorite things ever to happen. <laughs> uh, and you know when he he called the the black journalist uh, a drug addict or whatever, mm-hmm. it's, it's like he anytime he gets thrown off his game, he'll say these horrible things. So if Trump does get him to debate in the the first five seconds of the debate, he should say something that pisses Joe off. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's you know challenging him on the crime bill or just bringing up something like, oh, you got your son a, a million dollar gig in Ukraine or, you know, like, you know, bring up Hunter Biden's corruption or his illegitimate grandchildren or something like that. Just say something ridiculous to throw Joe off his game. And I think it would be all downhill from there for Joe Biden. Absolutely. I think there are two things Trump needs to do, as you say, in the first five minutes. He needs to hit Biden straight away with the corruption of his son. He's always talking about family. He's always talking about looking after his family. Well, a lot of his family are millionaires because their last name is Biden. And then the second thing Trump needs to do is hit Biden as hard as he possibly can on the fact that he is endorsed and he selected as his running mate a woman who called him racist and effectively called him a rapist (laughs) at the same time. And now she has a sniff at power. She's completely flipped on that. The, The media have done nothing to get a decent answer out of this. This is the easiest win ever. Like you have an old man who is sitting next to a woman who has climbed up the greasy pole of power in any way she possibly can. Like, that is an open attack. That is a legitimate attack. And Trump needs to go after that. This is what Trump is built for. This is something straight out of The Apprentice. And if Trump can't win against Joe Biden, who doesn't know what his name is or where he is, and Kamala Harris, who quite literally slept her way into power yeah. and and is now endorsed a man she called a racist rapist, if he can't win, then that's on Trump. One more thing on the DNC, and then I want to move on to the RNC. Uh, Kamala Harris is really bad at this. Mm-hmm. I mean, her speech was terrible, uh, and it, it's it was a striking contrast between her and um, and Obama's speech. You know, and it, it was very odd too. Like Obama wanted to, you know, he spoke right before Kamala Harris, and so it was the whole like passing of the torch between Obama and Kamala Harris, which is very strange because Kamala Harris is not running for president. So that's it's a little weird. Like Joe Biden's like uh, he's supposed to be handing the torch to me, but so that was a little <laughs> weird. But it's like. Joe Biden, looking at the, the 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 polling data, the polls are actually getting tighter. Like Trump has actually picked up a couple points on Biden since Biden announced Kamala Harris as his running mate. Like you can't just have any half black Democrat, okay? Like you, you see the the contrast between Obama and his popularity within the party still, um, and somebody like Kamala Harris, who obviously she dropped out before Iowa. She had no support among. Democratic primary voters, and she ran out of money. So it's like, you know, just because she's half black, just like Obama, does not mean she's going to significantly help uh, the Joe Biden campaign. And and it's still, it's it boggles my mind that he would pick somebody like her. She's not a good politician. She's extremely corrupt. She made her career, uh, you know, arresting people for drugs. <laughs> you know, she hid evidence that would have led a man off the, off of of death row. Uh, like mm-hmm. you mentioned, she quite literally slept her way into politics. You know, it, just a horrible background, a horribly corrupt person with no charisma at all. She's not a good speaker. So it's, you know, it, I'm encouraged that Biden did not get a bump at all after announcing uh, his running mate and that, you know, it doesn't look like he's going to get a significant bump after the convention either. I think that's good news for Republicans. But now that the RNC, the Republican National Convention is underway, what's on your radar this week? Uh, more more specifically, w- what should the GOP do? I, I don't know if they're going to listen to us. They should. 
They should just put us in charge, but they're probably not going to. Um, so what if, if you and I were in charge, like, you know, what should they be doing? And I mentioned this earlier, uh, and I think you did as well. Um, they, they should just focus on the violence, focus on the mm-hmm. riots. I, I would literally just shine a spotlight for a solid week on the violence perpetrated by the Democrats. I think, you know, if you want to win back suburban women, show them the contrast between law and order and then the Democrats who are have basically all but endorsed violence. So uh, who knows that they will? They'll probably talk about stupid stuff like building the wall and all this stuff that's like a losing issue, and uh, they'll probably mess it up somehow. But if it were me, I would focus on the violence almost exclusively this week. I would. I agree completely. I think they, it should be three days of playing clips of all these cities burning down across the country next to politicians in the media saying peaceful protests. That's all they need to do. Like the media is a joke. The Democrats are a joke. They are openly endorsing violence because they think they can win politically. And Trump needs to present himself as a based in reality option that if you care about small businesses in your area, if you care about people's safety, if you care about law and order, then he is the only um, choice you can make. Unfortunately, I don't think that's going to happen. I think there are a lot of speakers who are from the hardcore MAGA crowd. He's got a lot of his family coming to speak. And they tend to be quite incendiary with their speech, which works well when they're going on TV. But that's not really the goal of the RNC in this case. The GOP need to unify around a very small and very distinct set of policies which set them apart from the Democrats. And if you look at, I can't remember where I saw it, but they posted the list of all their policies it's just like an endless list of things, some of the things which are kind of indistinguishable from the Democrats. Like they're talking about guaranteeing uh, protection for pre-existing conditions. They're talking about guaranteeing this. They're talking about paying for that. But this isn't really... Firstly, that's not. there's nothing conservative about promising to pay for more things without cutting spending in any direction. But secondly, that doesn't really help you um, set yourself apart from the Democrats. The crime and the violence is the issue that can bring people in the middle. I think the Republicans, and especially Trump, they're obsessed with their base. They're obsessed with the people who love everything Trump does. Like when Trump tweets something ridiculous, it's always, oh, well, his base love it. His base are gonna vote for him no matter what. What matters is the people in the middle who are trying to decide whether they want to vote for someone they don't like in Donald Trump, or they want to vote for someone who is gonna oversee every city in the United States being burnt to the ground. That's the decision that needs to be presented. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And of course, Trump's base will, will love him no matter what. But that's what? 25, 30%? At the most. You know, like that, sorry, <laughs> a quarter of the electorate is just not going to cut it. I think you're absolutely right. Um, they should just focus on the riots, focus on the violence. We'll see what they, you know, we'll see. Um, the, you know, the, the Trump campaign has gotten a lot better since uh, firing mm-hmm. Brad Parscale. Um, uh we just looked it up before we started recording. I can't remember the new, <laughs> Trump's new campaign manager's name. Uh, he's not somebody that I was familiar with at all, but he seems to be doing a better job. We'll see. Uh, we'll see if that continues. It, one interesting note, uh, the ratings for the DNC were down 28% mm-hmm. um, from 2016. So, uh, look, maybe it's just the people are burned out. Maybe, you know, people been <laughs> the Democrats have been campaigning for president since the second uh, Trump was elected, so maybe people are just kind of over it. Um, and maybe the, the RNC's numbers will be down as well. Uh, maybe not. I mean, we'll, we'll see. I think that's something to keep our eye on. Uh, and I don't really care typically about stuff like ratings. You know, it's not, I'm not, I'm not Trump. I, that's not something I care about <laughs> too deeply. But it would be interesting if, you know, the, the DNC, their numbers were down 28%. If 
if the Republican convention, if those ratings are you know similar at all to the the 2016 numbers, that would be a great sign. I mean, enthusiasm does matter, and there's no mm-hmm. real way to measure how much uh, the enthusiasm gap matters electorally. But we're about to find out. <laughs> that's that's yeah. I don't I don't know I don't know how big of a deal it is. Some people really value that. Some people don't. Uh, we're about to find out November third. I think it's it's just tricky because Trump loves ratings, and I'm just right. worried that if, say, the first night he gets really great ratings, he's just going to do talk about ratings for three days. He's impossible to keep on track, and he's horrendously undisciplined. So I hope people in his campaign basically keep all that stuff secret for him, keep him <laughs> off Twitter for a few days, yes. and just keep him on track. Like, all you can talk about is the violence. If, yep. if all he talks about is violence for four days, then... I think the Republicans have this in the bag already, but anything can change with Trump. He's such a loose cannon, which I think it's his, it's to his advantage when he's the outsider, when he's trying to unseat the established uh, position of authority, he's great. Right. But he is the president now. It is not the same as 2016. If I hear one more person compare 2020 to 2016, like, oh, well, the polls were wrong in 2016. So, it's well, different. it's not the same election. Nope. The polls weren't that wrong on a national level. And it's just it's sometimes polls are right. Sometimes polls are wrong. The fact that polls were once wrong doesn't mean that polls will forever be wrong. Right. It's very frustrating. Yeah. And I'm not saying Trump can't win. I, I, I think he can. I think he's actually making some inroads. You're seeing mm-hmm. uh, the polls in a lot of swing states tighten a little bit. He still has a lot of ground to make up. But I think you're right. Like just the president's personality does not mesh well with being the incumbent. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like he's not. It's just. You have to run a different kind of campaign when you're the incumbent, and he just—he can't. Like he's—I don't think he's capable of that. He's gonna run the same campaign he ran in 2016. We'll see if it works again. We'll see. I I don't know. You know, and I'm not sure. And and I'm really wondering. um, I mean, obviously nobody's enthusiastically voting for Joe Biden. Um, He thought that Kamala Harris would bring that enthusiasm. Not going to happen. I don't know why he thought that. <laughs> I suppose her gender uh, and the color of her skin, I, I suppose. But um, he, he probably should have picked a, a more charismatic, better, just a better politician as his running mate. But um, we'll see. Yeah, I am very interested to see the enthusiasm gap. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously, people don't hate Joe Biden the same way they hated Hillary Clinton. But I think the Democratic base is even less enthusiastic about Biden than they were Hillary Clinton because, you know, Quite frankly, Hillary Clinton's a woman. So mm-hmm. we'll, we'll see. I mean, we'll see if uh, the enthusiasm gap really does hurt him this time. Well, I think you touched on really the crucial point that people need to remember is that 2016 and 2020 are different because uh, Joe Biden is not Hillary Clinton. Like People voted for Trump because they hated Clinton. Right. A lot of people will vote for Biden because they hate Trump. Yep. And so that's the question. Like The referendum question needs to be changed. It needs to be Trump or violence yes. rather than anything else or Trump. 100%. 100%. Got to wrap it up. I'm out of time. Thanks so much for doing this, Ian. Uh, we'll do it again soon. Actually, I will be on your show on Thursday. So everybody uh, uh, keep your eye out for that. Uh, where can everybody uh, listen to your show and, and follow you online, keep in touch, all that good stuff? Yeah, I'm excited to have you on on Thursday. Yeah, so my, uh, you can find my uh, podcast or the, another show I film on YouTube. It's called The Ian Howth Show or The Truth in 60 Seconds. You can also find me on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. My handle is I-G-H-A-W-O-R-T-H. So my last name is, is Howarth, but it, people say it all kinds of ways. So 
based on Kamala Harris's logic, basically anyone who says my name wrong is an anti-Semite. So I'm excited to start <laughs> taking the people for court for that. So yeah, check me out on, on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, I-G-H-A-W-O-R-T-H. See, I'm not anti-Semitic. I just hate the British, you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> That's all I got for today. I'm Brady Leonard. I'll be back on Wednesday. No gimmicks. Thank you.